What's up, boys? Hey, Dave. Hey. How we doing? Good. How are you? Doing okay. Hey, Dave. I, I had some someone write to me and said you sounded out out of it. Talking to me? Yeah. David Thorpe. Coach Thorpe. Sound out of it when? Out of it lately. Well, last week I was I had a really bad chest cold. It's almost gone now. So if I speak up too much, it gets me to cough. You know. Hmm. And also, I'm just you fire know, off some f bombs. is What I'm saying. You know what uh-huh. I mean? <laughs> well, you know, I'm not as comfortable yet with Dave. Dave, are you okay with me cursing? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're not going to bother me. <laughs> yeah, so I've I've had to keep my voice down. Plus, um, when we have other people on, I just you know I'm always on. I I feel like other people need to have their say. You know. Yes. But today I'll be I'll let as Jade knows well I'll let the I'll let the expletives fly. Let them fly, baby. Welcome to a special Thanksgiving edition, because we're not doing another show before Thanksgiving, episode of Nerder She Wrote. I am Dave DeFore. Joining me, as always, Coach David Thorpe. Uh, how's the weather down there in Florida? It's beautiful, man. I freaking love it. Well, I'm in Virginia. <laughs> no, it's... It's uh, a Thanksgiving edition. You just told me to let the let the us fly. <laughs> I can't win, Jay. I can't win with you. No, uh, David, we got a cool today. We're so, getting yeah. six, we're open. getting we're getting snow tonight. Oh yeah, I, yeah. well, I'm, I'm in a tank top in my office right now. I was about to say I'm I'm in Virginia uh, for some family stuff, and it is sleeting here. Wow, and this is uh, yeah, it's less than ideal. It's not it a lot of fun. 80s yesterday, we're we're in the 70s. I think we're dropping down to 48 tonight. My mom just texted uh, texted me, so might even light a fire, but uh, it'll be warm in the next couple Ooh. days, I'm sure. Nice. Oof. We got it good here, I know. Uh, and and then uh, also joining us is uh, the evil producer, Jade Hoy, who I think is jumping in on the on the mailbag action, right? Uh, you know, if there's a question for me to answer, you know. Or, I do cook my own turkey. I do prepare the food for the family. Got the biggest crowd I've ever had coming next week. So Whoa. Oh. How yeah. many people? Uh, let's see. My brother, his wife, his two kids. My parents, six, my uncles, two, my cousin, and then so that's nine plus we're five. What's that? 14? Good grief. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm actually looking forward for the, for the first time in a long time to Thanksgiving. Jade, I would tell you, as my kids are almost out of the house, those are the best days, my man. We, yep. we had, um, this is the first year we're not having a 20-plus you know, person Thanksgiving yeah, we're keeping it really small. My mother-in-law is recovered from some. Um, she not recovered. She's already a, a very cancerous survivor, but she's. We had a little concern about a few things, but everything's gone really well, and we're just gonna stay super low key. The rest of my family on my side is gonna go out of town, and just gonna kind of hunker down with her and my wife's family, and not even have turkey. We're just doing. I think he's my brother-in-law is doing pork and. Um, chicken wings or something, which I'm really mm-hmm. excited. I don't care about the tradition of food. I like the family part of it. No turkey, but I, no, I, I don't care. The I never eat turkey. I gotta I mean, have the turkey. I don't eat meat on at night, so yeah, I was always a vegetable guy anyway. But um, those days with the kids being young and man, I just I miss them so much, man. I uh, saw I saw you posted a picture of your son. He's he's your uh, you posted a picture of your you yeah at eighteen seventeen right? seventeen, 17. Yeah. yeah. 
almost and, exactly the same age as he was when I posted it, you know, within probably a month or so. So that I just found that one. That was uh so wait, what is he going to be a he's, senior? No, is he a yeah, senior? He's a junior right now. Yeah. Junior. Okay. So he's got one more year at home. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I got about 18 months left with my son and daughter. So by the way, by the way Dave, I can't wait till they leave. <laughs> yeah. We always said that because the twins, they drive you crazy. But as it gets closer. They're virtually twins too. Grayson and Sadie, you know, yes. and they're, they're, right now they're just, they're, they're a tornado. Yeah. So, but yeah, Sadie cut her own hair the other day. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. When they start saying see you later and they get in their car and drive away and um That's my daughter right now, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I was out the other day walking and my daughter's out running out in the community and you know, for just before nightfall, which something probably something I used to be really worried about, but she's she's almost an adult. What am I gonna do? Yeah. I miss the uh when they say to me, Hey Dad, let's go get some dessert or you wanna run somewhere. It's such a blessing because that that doesn't happen when they get to be teens for quite a while. Uh-huh. Jade, did you did you call the podcast back to back because of your kids? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, actually, so you know, I mean, we, we can sprinkle in a mailbag question here because we just kind of talked about it. Uh, Ray Johnson from Twitter asked, "What's the best turkey substitute?" Uh, apparently they're not going to do turkey at his house. They're just doing brisket. Brisket. Oh, I like it. My the only time I can remember we kind of substituted one year. My mom just did turkey breasts. Okay. With, without the actual bird, right? So you just bought the breasts and and cooked them a certain way. But yeah, I like the whole turkey thing. I like it's like a whole thing because I only really do it once a year. So yeah, uh, I, I find it to be. Um, Fun. I've never substituted like ham or anything like that out for Thanksgiving. Turkey is Thanksgiving to me. I I am right there with you. I, I agree. I think if you if you replace it with something else, it's just a different meal. Yeah, I like to. I don't know. It's just something like I like the whole bird sitting there. Yeah, but, and know. also the naps that are induced. Love the leftovers. I do the turkey pot pie the next day. Oh wow, that sounds good. Yeah. See, I'm a turkey sandwich guy. I like to do the turkey with some stuffing and some gravy and some cranberry sauce on on like some toast, and I think that's delicious. I generally don't don't have much in the way of like uh, good sandwich meat left. I get like a 15, 16-pound bag. Actually, I might have to go 20 this year, 20 pounds. Pump it up. Pump it up. Might have to go two birds. No two birds. I'll I'll tell you my favorite memory – is after I was in, you know, in college and out of college and my younger brothers were, you know, growing up and, and suddenly I had another one in college with me and we come out, you know, we come home, we'd have Thanksgiving dinner, we'd go off and do our thing at night with our, you know, friends that were in town and then we'd all gather back, you know, 12, one in the morning, two in the morning, whatever time we got back. Uh, and my dad would be up waiting for us and we'd pull out the old carcass and he'd make just a huge gallon of Thousand Island dressing yeah, and we would just eat that thing to the bone and just catch up. Those were uh, pretty special times too. Like a hawk. Yeah, <laughs> I still do that now. I just do it by myself. My kids don't like. They don't I like do the thousand dollar dressing. I, thing. Actually, I do that. I do. I rip the carcass up. I learned it from my grandma, you know, because she was uh, from the Depression, and I get. I can. I can do a pretty good job of getting every single usable piece of meat. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's how it's supposed to be. If when 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 I first learned to eat oysters. 
I got yelled at. In fact, I, I think my dad or, or his buddy stabbed me with a with an oyster fork because I took I scooped the oyster out incorrectly. You can't leave a speck on the shell. And uh, same with chicken wings. You have to you have to when you eat them, you got to tear them up and pull the bones out. You got to take it. Eat everything you can get, man. Eat everything you can. My family's from Eastern Europe. Leave nothing left. <laughs> eat the eat the egg and its shell. <laughs> nice. Uh, so we didn't get any uh, any food and beverage questions uh, for for this pod, but Coach, uh, what's your go to holiday cocktail? Great question. Uh, I don't think I'll be drinking this year um, because, like I said, we're doing really low key. For me personally, I like to start with a martini with my dad. He likes a vodka martini, and I, I like a real martini. Uh, and then I don't really drink much after that. I might have you know just a little gin and a, and a dash, a splash of juice or something. But I'll tell you the most fun thing, and Jade, I was thinking about you when you were saying you were doing yours. I don't know how many people you'll have, Dave. But last year I made – I may do this this year. I made a, a very large um, colorful sangria where I took a um, – a, a very large glass bowl, almost like a pitcher, but very, you know, it could hold probably a gallon or so. And I stacked it with different colored fruits, the same color, every row. So it's a very pretty look. I got it from a picture. And then, um, you know, maybe three, four, hours, I let, I let that sit in a, like a refrigerator overnight. And then the next morning, uh, I made my sangria in a separate container and then poured it in. So the fruit could confuse as well, and it was, it was very delightful. Actually, we my friends come in; they liked it. I really add so little to Thanksgiving, other than I do make a good drink. So I felt like I added something beyond uh, just a good good cocktail. See, I, I'm like Jade. I, I'm the cook in my house, and yeah. so yeah, I don't know what we're doing yet for Thanksgiving. We we originally we were planning a camping trip. Uh, we're we're pretty into the outdoors, and um, but being in Texas is a little weird because you only really have Big Bend National Park. And apparently that place books out six months in advance. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I think we're going to pivot and, and just do like a kind of a dinner at home. We've got a buddy coming into town. And so I'll probably make, uh, I might go the Jade route with the, uh, just the Turkey breasts and, uh, it's easy. yeah, do them on the grill, maybe smoke them. I have and, one rule that I would suggest anyone listening, <coughs> excuse me, Oh, turn your fucking TVs off. Don't put, don't put on football. Well, I don't watch football anymore, so that's easy. Yeah, neither do I. I don't either. I started not watching on Thanksgiving, and then I gave it up, you know, maybe a decade ago at any time. But no screens. I, I yell at the kids. We sometimes have a lot of kids here. No screens. Uh, they're not great at it. And eventually, over time, the adults start talking, and the kids go into a different room. Now they're young adults, and, and they'll get on the screens. But I try to really stress no TV, put on Sinatra music or some French jazz and and get people to talking uh my family is run by my wife and her her sisters and so they do all the work in the kitchen so i try to entertain everyone else and uh my my best my favorite holiday is thanksgiving and passover actually as a jewish guy because i just remember all the talking we did with the family that came over we didn't sit in front of a tv back then either and uh and so if you want that you got to try to recreate that so dave what are your uh what are your what are your convo conversation openers Oh, so I keep a list in my BlackBerry. I've had it for a long time of all sorts of questions ranging from the more obvious ones like, you know, where, where are your favorite trips you've been on and, and where, where would you really like to go to if talent wasn't an obstacle? You know, what would you pursue? For me, it's 
uh, especially after watching that Freddie Mercury uh, documentary the other night, the movie um, Bohemian Rhapsody. I've always thought it'd be amazing to be a rock star and be able to inspire and move a lot of people with with my words or my my uh, my songs. So you get people talking about that. Uh, favorite books and why if you could if you had to go to a, a island for a week and you could pick yes. any literary character to hang out with who would you want yes. to hang out with what yes. book would you bring all those kinds of things hey you know? by the way if you if you do do the freddie mercury thing give, <laughs> give, if, i know you're not no screens but man if you if you go back and watch the live aid queen i did already as as i, I just home. did it i just did it how good did you see the movie no, I haven't seen the movie oh, yet. Oh, you got to Okay, so good for you because it's going to rook you the way, but they did Jade. I mean, they're not stupid. They obviously they screened it. And so when they made the movie in the live aid scene, which is kind of the climactic point of the movie, right. They they just took it right from it. So I loved seeing the real thing cuz I watched it live. I was a sophomore in college. Unbelievable. And, um, it was yeah, the, the, it was very I thought it was a really well done movie and from the standpoint of a lot of single i'm not any kind of expert cinephile but a lot of single camera a lot of movement kind of like the way oliver stone did the doors yeah to to make you feel like you're part of the wildness of his life yes so a lot of fast moving stuff the music of course is great it wasn't totally chronologically accurate they had a they had a rendition of fat bottom girls before bohemian rhapsody and i bought fat bottom girls as an album when i was in high school and that was well after bohemian rhapsody but Unless they re-released it, which I didn't look up, but uh, amazing movie. You forget just how brilliant his voice was, and uh, how especially, many great they had. especially live. My goodness! Well, that here's the other great thing, Jay. They didn't even mention this in the movie. I looked it up afterwards, like the top twenty live performances in history. Yeah, it, it there's a number of high level uh, music magazines that rated number one. Dude, you know when I was growing up, it was always U two had the like U two is. Had a good performance there, uh, yeah, and it, for me, that, it, for, for me, it overshadowed Queens. But now, as time has gone by, I don't know. I think Queen might might be the better one. <laughs> I don't think anyone had the stage presence that Freddie Mercury had. No, well, or his vocal range was right. Ridiculous. I mean, and, and the, the and here's the other thing. My wife just sent me an NPR interview with Brian May, their guitar player, um, who was an astrophysicist. And so there's a science behind a lot of what they did. I haven't listened to the pod yet. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I think when I walk on Thanksgiving next week, uh, but there, there was a real science, not just a craft to what they did. So it wasn't just him, but yeah, boy, was he a talented man. My goodness. All right, let's talk hoops. <laughs> I was just going to say, should we talk basketball? I mean, this yeah. could be, we could go really long here. Um, okay. Uh, friend of the show. Uh, Matt and AQ, he's asking, what kind of challenge is it to coach a guy like LeBron? Is LeBron ever going to be really happy with a coach ever? Uh, or does he just know too much and is too controlling uh, to ever be happy with a coach? Well, I first want to flip that question. Ask Ty Lue what it's like to coach without him. Or Eric yeah. Holstra. Or uh, Mike Brown. So... I mean, if you want to coach in the NBA, you want the best player in the, that's ever played the game, or, or if you want to argue second best player ever on your team, you'll deal with the headaches. I, I do think there's some challenges, uh, and there's no perfect athlete. There's no perfect player. Uh, he has his issues that you have to deal with, but I mean, I, as you watched, the, I watched the game last night. He's When he does that, you know, I think he's the best that's ever played. He does that a lot. 
And uh, I also think he forces you to be – like I think Ty Lue, the irony of him getting fired is I thought he was became the best coach he had ever been. You, you, when you have that many reference points, that many experiences, when you're forced to have to find a way to guard Golden State, you know, four straight years in – and sometimes seven games, sometimes six in the last year or four and five, you're, you're going to get better. You're learning, you're pushing the envelope for your game. And LeBron's so bright as a, as a person, not just a player that, that he's going to challenge you. I'm sure. And I, I remember talking to uh, a player, a teammate of his years ago who said, I love him like a brother, but he's, you know, he's a challenge. And I get that because uh, he's the, he's all the microscope, all the lights are on him and he knows that. And so he's got to deflect some of that, but, yeah, I the alternative is not to have him, and you would never want that. Yeah, I actually give Ty Lue a lot of credit, but you know his first year when he took over for Blatt, uh, you could tell you know he was kind of scuffling a little bit uh, with with making adjustments, and he never really got great at in game adjustments. But by the time he was finished in Cleveland, you know last year, I, I thought his game to game adjustments were yeah. right up there with anyone. You know he he could make a change in a series from one game to the next. And it was essentially everything that he should have done. Like he, he was almost a hundred batting a hundred percent on that. Um, which is very hard to do. I mean, to, to be able to say what we're doing, isn't working. I got to switch it up. Uh, that's, I mean, for me, I have said this many times, both in business or, or as a coach, I have no pride. Uh, if I'm trying to win the game, I'll, I'll do anything as fast as possible. I'll, I'll get out of my idea. I'll get out of your idea. I don't care. I have no pride with anything other than if we're trying to win, let's move on to win. But Dave Griffin told um, Haberstroh and I something interesting last year when he did a show with us. Remember this, Jade? With Dave, I didn't know this. No one ever reported this. Dave said that um, that Ty always took over the defense in the postseason. And so just by that simple act of a different voice controlling what had been 82 games long of experience, there was going to be a different flavor to it. And, and maybe he was also better than the guy that ran up before him, but even if he wasn't better, he was different. And that forces uh, offenses to adjust because they can't quite assume the same as they would otherwise. That was a brilliant move. And then the other thing too, is as a coach, you're first in the business to inspire, but you're also in the business to lead, which, which part of it is to inspire, uh, where, um, your, your emotional tone is so important. And I thought Ty got really good at that, at, at just managing the storms that is the NBA playoffs. I mean, so much emotion and pressure. I, I mean, I just thought he got to be really good. I, I, I don't always think just because you're an NBA coach means you're any good. I've often thought guys couldn't even coach in high school, in my opinion. They were NBA coaches. They sucked. I don't feel that way about him. And I did when he first took over. I didn't think he was anything special. I'm looking forward to seeing him take over another job and see how he does, because I think we'll see that he really grew as a coach into something at least above average, if not better than that. Yeah. Um, Next question uh, from Colonel Cactus, which is hilarious. Uh, If Ben Simmons doesn't develop a credible jump shot, isn't he at or near his peak? If that's the case, why not trade him for a haul now while the bloom is still on the rose? You want to you want to take a stab at that first because I have a pretty simple answer. I mean, I, I don't think he's near his peak. I, that, I'll start there. I think that there there's a ton of stuff that that is yet to be unlocked by the coaching staff. There, um, you know, we we saw a tiny bit of it last night with him as a screener. He he rarely does that now uh, until Butler got there. Apparently, um, yeah. I, I think that there's a ton of stuff that you can add. I do think 
uh, a jump shot will be important for him at some point. I mean, they're just not guarding him. Um, but if he's the only guy on the court who can't shoot, it becomes a little bit easier, you know, without faults out there, essentially. Go ahead. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off some sh- a shooting average for a player. You ready? Yes. 25.5% is all from three year to year. Okay. 25.5, 25, 29.1, 20.2, 33.8, 22.1, 30.4. Before I tell you who this is, will you, will you agree those are terrible numbers? Yes. All but one or below 33%, right? Right. From that last year, 14-15 season of uh, 30.4, he's had one more year of 30%. But in the other years, he's been 38.8, 43.8, 39.9, 36.6, all somewhere around three to five threes a game. Do you know who that player is? No. He was rookie of the year, and nobody could guard him going right. He was a man among boys. He just couldn't shoot. Blake Griffin. No, pretty good guess. He's not quite. Uh, I was like, guy. I didn't think he's shooting 40. percent He's probably over 50 right now. Um, yeah, Tyreek Evans. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I watched him his whole rookie year in Sacramento. He could not go left. It didn't matter. You couldn't stop him going right. He certainly couldn't shoot even 10 footers barely. And he's he's made himself into a just a, a good three point shooter. Uh, I don't know that Ben Simmons will get that or not, but. To, to trade him is to assume you know he won't get there. Right. And why would you ever make that assumption? Well, I will say that there there is some credibility to the idea that he's shooting with the wrong hand. Um, I do think that I, I think that that's accurate. I, I think it's I think he's right handed. I think when you see him, you know, when he throws these baseball passes and uh, heaves at the end of games and things like that, the, his propensity to finish around the rim with his right hand over his left. I do think he's clearly a right-handed player, um, right-handed shooter, I should say. Uh, he's even right-eye dominant, which is part of why he, his form is a little bit funky. He does a lot of stuff that that favors, you know, that the fact that he's a right-handed shooter. Um, but at this point in his basketball career, you know, I don't know that switch. I mean, he's obviously he's ambidextrous, yeah. but I do think he's a right-handed shooter. Sort of like LeBron. Like LeBron is allegedly left-handed. Like he signs left-handed or something like that. Um, but he's clearly a right-handed shooter in basketball. Like that's that's pretty obvious. Uh, there's there's a, that's a very very insightful point, and maybe uh, maybe you're right. Maybe he does have to change that. So fine. I mean, Philadelphia has not been very good, in my opinion. Yeah. At this kind of thing, as much as that was part of the process, I don't think that they've really been great at player development in that way. Uh, it's hard to teach guys to shoot, but, but many guys do. Many guys figure it out. Um, I also am not convinced he's not going to – your point is right. He's going to get much better at everything, everything, right. not just shooting. So if he only ends up developing – I mean, LeBron wasn't a good shooter for a good part of his career. Dwayne Wade never really got it. He was pretty fucking good. Yeah. Uh, well, my bigger, my bigger issue is that the coaching staff doesn't challenge him to at least take the shots. I think – you know, this is something that we saw with Jason Kidd, where he almost actively discouraged Giannis from shooting to his detriment. And not only that, but there is there is just the normal NBA spacing that's required. And if you're open from three, you need to shoot it. I, I just think that that is a principle uh, that almost everyone needs to follow. We see how important that space is. And right now they don't even guard him because they know he's not going to shoot. They drop back in the paint and, you know, it, it actually... Imagine what Embiid could do if they were at least worried that 
that Ben Simmons might shoot 20% on threes. Did, good did I quote, terrific. Did I quote Mike Antoni on this last week? I don't um, remember. He said, um, I did. I listened to his on, on low, on the low post podcast. He, I don't remember who he was talking about or maybe it was no one in particular, but he said, if, if someone goes underneath your ball screen and you, uh, shoot the three, I don't care who you are. I want you to do it. And I don't care if you shoot it 70 times. And that's your point. It's exactly. the right play. It's the right play. And I think, I think there is something to that, uh, where you've got to give the player the green light to fail. And, but he's also got to give himself permission to fail just like Fultz has to, uh, you've, you got to be willing to miss and, and learn from it and, and miss five, miss six, miss seven. The best shooters do that. I had a player I'm helping overseas. Uh, he went five of 12 from three. He's a former NBA player. I think he'll probably get back. And, um, I think he missed like the first four, but he, he knows he's a great shooter. Just fire that thing up, man. Shoot the ball. If you're a good shooter, you got to shoot it. And, uh, the best shooters just don't sweat the misses. I I've As, never missed a shot coach. Yeah. The rim moves, right? Uh, no, I mean, I, I just can't remember any of them. Yeah. Like right, that's, exactly. that's the thing. And, and I think that in order to get there, I mean, we've seen the workout videos, like he does practice shooting threes and the only way to get good is to get reps in a game. I mean, this is, we're going to see this with Giannis this year where, you know, he's going to, he's not going to shoot as many as he should. And he's not going to make as many as he should because he's essentially, it's like the first time doing it in a game. I think we just need to see it out of him, and, and it'll, it'll unlock a lot of stuff. Uh, but while we're talking about this, I do want to get your take on, on faults. Um, in particular, I, I'm sure you saw the free throw. I don't want to just harp on the free throw. Cause the one right before that was fine. Um, but this whole situation has now gotten to the point where, I mean, we've been in weird territory and now we're getting into like the X files. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, he and drew Hanlon are no longer working together. I read something, uh, la- late last night or yeah, late last night that, um, he was pressured into working with faults or, uh, into working with drew Hanlon. Um, you know, his shot clearly isn't back. We, we saw the tweet a few weeks ago from Hanlon saying that he's not healthy. I, I think that there's a nerve issue. I, I said this on Tuesday on the basketball buds. I, I don't like to speculate about this kind of stuff, but we're getting into the point where there's no info and there's clearly still a physical problem. Have you ever dealt with a player that was kind of had maybe had a physical issue, but there's also clearly a mental block. Like, and how do you, how do you kind of work through that? Sure. Of course I have. Um, sometimes it comes very often. It comes from an injury and, and other times just a bad mechanic their whole life. Uh, there's a player I, I trained for, I still help him. He's in Europe now. He made the NBA for a couple of years. A kid named Gal Mechel, Israeli kid, second ever Israeli to make the NBA who had a, a really severe hitch in his jumper, but nobody could ever guard him. He was a, one of the more brilliant ball screen players I've ever seen. Uh, absolute NBA player that kind of got screwed, got hurt a little bit too, which didn't help him. But he never had to shoot just like Derrick Rosen had to shoot because nobody could guard him. He just used ball screens to death and passed so brilliantly. And when I had to teach him to shoot, it was really problematic for us. It was about, you know, he had that hitch from his three and it was trying to get an earlier release because he wanted to hang on to it forever. It took us years. He's, I think he's been plus 40% a couple years in a row now in Europe from three. Uh, it's something he works on tirelessly. He sends me video from Israel in the off season when he's not here. And we, but I will tell you this, I've had to use 
lots of different techniques with every different player. Sometimes it's a similar technique, but it might be the eighth or ninth or tenth I've used in a couple of weeks to get them to the fluidity that I want. Uh, I remember coaching a kid named Martel Webster who had the John Hollinger once wrote, he had the prettiest jumper he's ever seen that didn't go in. Yeah. And I never forgot that. And so when, when his, his people called me and asked if I would start helping him, I flew to Minnesota to, to take a look at him and it was just textbook perfect, but it, it just didn't flow. So I had him get about 26, 27, 28 feet in front of the rim at the, uh, target center practice court. And I had him really working on banking it in, mm-hmm. uh, which forced him to, to shoot with some power. And, and once he started banking it in, or I didn't care if it went or not, it had, it had to reach the backboard. A lot of times he couldn't even reach the backboard. He was so tense and I was trying to loosen him up and, uh, it worked out fine. He ended up, you know, doing just fine the next year is in Washington and the, and the Washington Post did an article about him. And he referenced that he, I didn't, I wasn't interviewed. He just said, you know, uh, Coach Thorpe had me uh, bank the ball and it really kind of just unlocked me. And my point on that is I, I have 50 of those. I-, I could I could probably come up with 50 more. Anything I have to do to unlock something, to trigger something, it's different for every person. Um, and then really I try to teach the player to do that. Uh, my son has learned to kind of diagnose his own shot more so than probably the average 17-year-old where he can make little tweaks to it because he understands the mechanics of it and what's struggling. He's still not anywhere close to perfect, but that's really the idea. Uh, we got to keep trying like a doctor has got to keep trying new things. until something's healed, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I brought up the, this point on basketball buds, but I, I think it's worth bringing up again with you. I think the other thing that we don't, we don't consider is the advantage of being a big guard until you get to the NBA makes it so that you know, having a jump shot isn't as important. Although to Markel Fultz had a jump shot at Washington. I mean, yeah. it was why he was the consensus number one pick. And, and so this is kind of a, I think the injury, right. Topic. I think, right. I, I think it's a natural shooting. I always say shooting should be a very natural fluid thing. That's why everyone's right. shot should look a little different. We're all built more differently than you realize. Our bones connect a little bit different way. Our tendons might be a little bit different. And, um, it should be a natural thing. And when you have an injury like he did and that natural feel is gone, it, it has an impact, a lasting one, which, which we now see. I'll say on the free throw, I, I actually, I put this up somewhere. Um, I showed a video of a guy whose who's shot slipped out of his hand. Yeah. And then instead of just redoing it, he shot it. If that's really the case where he had slipped out of his hand, he should have just reset. You have 10 seconds to shoot it. Um, that's what he should have done. And like you said, he shot a fine the time before. Uh, his jumper looks fine, which 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 also might be a situation where he's more relaxed when he's moving, and it's harder to do it on catch and shoot or free throw where you're not moving. Right. But that's that's all mental too. It just has to be. You just have to work through it to get back to that fluid, natural feel. And I always try to set up players. Imagine you are like I tell my son all the time, whose season starts next week. Imagine. In a big in a big shot on a free throw, whatever you're in our driveway, you've shot here for your whole life. Relax and just it's the same shot. Um, try, especially when you're a taller guy and like Markel, you, you have to worry about contesting all the time. You just got to get back in free throw. Same thing. No one can block it. Just get back to that natural fluid motion you've been doing your whole life. What you know what I've done for players that that struggle at the free throw line, just from a mental standpoint, is to turn it into a catch and shoot. So essentially, from the ref that, that pass, that bounce pass or whatever, it's a catch and shoot. Don't even put it down. 
just take the shot. I, I stole that from Clay Thompson because mm-hmm. Clay Thompson has amazing rhythm, rhythm on his, his catch and shoots. And for a few years, that's what he did from the free throw line. And I was like, you know what? This is a great way to just take your brain out of it because, you know, we work on catch and shoot every single day in practice. Right. It's something that you do constantly. I mean, we work on free throws too, but it's different when you get there in front of a crowd. And so the catch and shoot could just let's remove the brain from the equation, go right into the motion that you already know how to do and, and just get the shot up. And, and you know, I watched a, a really good player who was shooting 50% from the free throw line in games and 90% in practice come up to 80% just by doing that. It's good. Yeah. So works. Yeah. Uh, it works from Shaquem, the dream. <laughs> And this is a question that actually has been on my mind. When is it time to start worrying about the Jazz? They got destroyed by the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, what was it, 51 points they lost by last night? Yeah. Um, A record. Dallas had a win. The biggest win, I think, in Dallas history. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think a lot of these struggles are with with favors and Gobert on the floor. uh, and, And obviously they had a lot of success that way last year. Um, are, are you officially worried about the jazz? No, no, uh, it's different than last year. Uh, they I don't remember what they were after 14 games, but I better, I don't think it was seven and seven. I haven't looked. Um, I know for, a, for a period of time when Rudy went out last year, they were, they were bad. Right. And then we saw what happened. I, I, they seem to be one of those teams that are slow developing and, 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 and yet Quinn has proved more than once that he can get them to come around. Uh, I mean, they just had beaten the Mavericks, uh, pretty easily the Celtics in a big game and, and in Memphis was a big win. Um, and, and then they have a bad losing streak before that, you know, they're, they're so up and down. I, I wonder, you know, if just Ricky Rubio, I, I, I think I said even two years ago, I think it's time for him to come off the bench. I still I still feel that way. I, I wonder if there's a deal to be made. Uh, Rubio's yeah. an expiring contract. Derek Favors is on a one-year deal. Um, I think Favors would have to to sign off on the on the uh, the trade, but um, I, I do wonder if if they need to make make a deal and kind of shake things up. And and really put Donovan Mitchell as the full time guy in that yeah. in that one spot. I mean, that's really the story of the Jazz right now. Is they only got hot last year because Donovan Mitchell played at a very very high level, maybe even elite level. Sometimes mm-hmm. he's he's been pretty average this year. He's not really shooting well uh, anywhere but the free throw line, which only goes I think four times a game or so. He's not playmaking great. Uh, so when you look at them offensively, if he, if you told me going into the season, Donovan Mitchell is going to re- regress to being average, I would say, Oh, and they're just going to be average, which is about what they are. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's crazy because I, I coming into the season, I was touting them. I thought they were the second best team in the West. It's me too. I they thought it could be, very well be that. Yeah. They had a great run last year. Uh, you know, a little bit of it was unsustainable, but I, I thought that the defense was what made them special. And that defense is not quite there this year. No. And that's the weirdest part to me. And so I don't know how they solve that problem. Uh, obviously, Rubio contributed a lot to that defense last year. And, uh, you know, I, if you move him, how do you replace that? I, I don't know. But to me, if I'm that team, I think that, you know, Mitchell, Exum, 
Ingles and and Gobert are the only four people that that you can't move to try to get better. Yeah, um, I think everyone else they should be open to trying it. The, the the biggest issue, there's no one available. There's just like who who would they trade for? Um, that, that's that seems to be my question when I'm looking around the league. You know, I'm looking at Washington. Well, Washington clearly needs to shake things up, but I don't know that there's a deal out there unless they're trading for someone else's, you know, pieces that they don't want. And, and you know, there's a reason why they don't want them. So, uh, this, all I know, I know what Washington should do. Oh, all right. I've got their problem solved. Let's, let's well, fix it. Well, let's agree that the problem isn't lack of talent at the two position. Oh, a hundred percent. Okay. That is there's not just, the problem. There's just a disconnect. Yes. So trade Beal to Portland, get CJ McCollum and something else, and maybe a pick. It, it elevates Portland. Uh, it's obviously not a good a player. Washington, you're not going to get a better player for Beal. You you, you want to get a a 20 point per game score, uh, a very easy guy to get along with. Although you better do your research to make sure John Wall approves. I would not do that if John Wall didn't approve. And you can get something else for CJ too. Their numbers are their their money is similar. And uh, and let's just let's just reset the chemistry and see what happens with that. Uh, that's interesting. That's, that's extremely interesting. Yeah. He's not, as of, good as, he's not as good as Beal. No, but you're not going to get someone as good as Beal, but you're all also of, not going to get likely a 21 point per game score. That's true. But all of my thoughts with, with the wizards is keeping Beal, who was a better player than John wall. Right. But they're not uh, going to do that. If, they're not going to be able to, they're, yeah. they're going to have to. So my point is you, you better find someone that can play with wall. So you sit down with John and say, Hey, we want to go get CJ. What do you think? And if John says yes, and again, you, I think you need to get something else, including a pick. I don't know about a future one, maybe, but certainly a second or two seconds. And then are you, if you're Portland, do you do it? Probably. Yeah. I mean, you're getting a better player out of the deal. Right. You're, now, now you've got a, a, a better defensive player, especially to put with Dame. Oh, yeah. Uh, better all-around player, too. Uh, I, again, I think it's it's it, it scratches the, the chemistry issue itch of, Washington and it upgrades Portland, uh, especially defensively, but, and it still gives them, it's not like you're getting an old player in either case. No, not at all. I, I wonder if teams are calling the warriors about Kevin Durant right now. <laughs> I, I saw someone floated the idea of Beal, Ubre and Morris for, for Kevin Durant. And I actually sat and thought about it for a second, just because, uh, of the chemistry issues there, the fact that they, you know, at least I feel that KD is going to walk this summer. Obviously, there's some internal feeling that he's walking this summer. Um, I mean, it would be absolutely insane because you're you're essentially going to walk into a title this this year with Kevin Durant. And well, so that that becomes that becomes the let's just play that game. That that becomes the argument to me. Right. I've been thinking about this for a couple of days ever since the you know the, the Draymond meltdown, which was Durant's fault, by the way. Um, yes. Yeah, Dr- Draymond screwed up. In that situation, Draymond, who's one of the brightest players in, of the modern era, really, in terms of basketball intelligence, quickly. He's not just a smart basketball player that figures stuff out. He figures it out instantaneously. Right. So the moment that he was gathering the rebound, he could have either let Durant pick it up or take it or handed it to him. Either one. That's what he should have done. The next thing he should have done is as he crossed half court and saw four people in front of him that were all bad guys wearing the opposite jersey. Jump stop and call timeout, please. Right. 
That's what, okay, so we screwed up. But it's, but imagine where we'd be today if, as that play ended, KD comes over, gives him a fist bump, and says, hey, let's go. Let's win this overtime. And, and, and never even gives it any thought. And then afterwards, with maturity, he takes him out for a glass of wine or whatever and says, hey, uh, I want that ball there. And I think you're an amazing player and you're, you've earned the right to do what you want to do defensively and with your ball movement and passing and screening. I mean, Draymond has done all the dirty work for that team. Well, a lot of the dirty work. Uh, so Kevin needed to be forthright and say, respect it, but I'd like the ball there right away. Or don't say anything because Draymond's fucking smart. And the next time, he'll probably give it to him right away anyway. He doesn't want to screw up. So I blame KD for all of that. But in looking around with what you said, this becomes the meeting between the owners and management. Okay. Do we risk a very likely title? Because I really think even Toronto's flawed. Nobody can play. I never said Golden State was the favorite to win as much as I feel they are this year. And remember, they got Cousins coming. Right. Just one year. And gives them more depth and and variability and how they can adjust. All right. Do we forfeit a third straight? Uh, the likelihood, the likelihood of a third straight, because it doesn't mean they won't still be really, really good. Because wherever they trade Durant for, they're going to get really good players, right? Like Beal, like you said. Exactly. Do we do we take do we lower the odds and lengthen our window, or do we say fuck it? We're still going to be really good after Durant leaves us with nothing, and um, and let's just let's just cement our place in history, getting four and five. I know what I would do, but I don't. You know, I don't know. But that's the decision they have to make, right? Well, what would you do? Oh, I would trade him. Yeah, I uh, see. I'm I'm the same way because I, I think want to give my fans success as many years as possible of as many good seasons as I possibly can. And if you trade Durant for so many moves to make, well, first of all, let me say this. I'd sit down with KD and I would say, I need to know right now, are you coming back next year? You know, we're going to give you what this, this is the number. Are you coming back? And if the answer is anything, but yes, I'm definitely coming back. I'm training him. Yeah. But, but I say that about anyone. I would never go into a, into a summer not knowing what's going to happen for agency with a player that had value for me. Like I'm, if I'm the Pelicans, I trade Anthony Davis tomorrow. Right. Fuck yeah. I trade him. Well, for he's got more value. Laker team, not named LeBron James. Yeah. Hell yeah. Cause he's got, he's got the rest of this year and then all of next year on that contract. And, and you know, I think that's something people don't, don't think enough about. Right. Yeah. They're not going to win in the, in his window and then they lose him for nothing. I want to give, I want to give my season ticket holders as many positive nights as I possibly can, and all of our corporate sponsors, as many great nights as I possibly can, we're not going to win them all. The championship is still just one night in an off season, but it's still just one night, that last game that you win. All those other nights matter. And I, quite frankly, growing up in this area where the Rays went through their stretch and the Buccaneers, my whole you know, first 10 years of life almost, it seemed, would be terrible except for one year. Um, it's it's just when I when you're a sports fan and your team isn't that good and or not that relevant, it's still a little bit demoralizing, which we all know is part of being in sports communities. And when you do have a team that's got a, a real chance, whether you're the favorite or not, it's it means something. So I just want to give my team as long of that window as possible, and and I'm not going to be held hijacked by any player. And you know, it seems like all the stories make it so ownership is more concerned with keeping KD 
and don't really care if they keep Draymond or not, which I think is, I don't, I think that that means they don't know basketball and they don't know how important Draymond has been for that team. Now I understand the age concerns. Uh, I don't know that his game is going to age. Well, he's not really like a gym rat. Um, as far as like working out, I mean, he's a basketball junkie, but not necessarily a, a workout warrior. Um, so I can understand that, but I, I think that Draymond green is more important to winning a title than Kevin Durant is for this warriors team. Plain and simple. I. Uh- I don't, I wouldn't agree with that. I think, I think Durant's, I mean, I, I listen, it's splitting hairs. Draymond Green is sure. marvelous. Uh, I look at it from a different point of view. My attitude is I've got the next best player in the world after LeBron James. And it's not, his name is not Kevin Durant. So Steph Curry may go down as the third best player of all time if he can get a few more rings. And, and I think he's got a real chance at it. And, and MVPs and all of that, barring the injury thing, which is an issue. So as long as I have Steph Curry, just like Cleveland with LeBron James, I'm going to be in the running. What I can't do is lose everyone else. And so by moving KD and getting two or three fantastic players, whether it's Lakers players, whether it's Celtics players, we're talking about guys that are going to be starters, not slash potential long-term all-stars. Pick a team, pick any and team. And younger guys too. By and the younger way, guys. That's what again. I mean. You're extending your window out. Yep. With the with the next best player in the world, um, and uh, you still got a lot of arrows to shoot at that target. It's not just one. And uh, but I understand the argument of getting the third one and cementing a legacy. I just don't think that legacy sells any tickets two years from now if it turns out a few guys leave. You know, right? And well, and let's not let's not forget that you know Curry and Draymond are pretty close, um, <laughs> and that stuff matters. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you lose Draymond, I would go to Steph and say, who do you want us to keep? I'd let him make the call. Uh, If he won't do it, then then that's fine. But I would give him the chance. He's earned that. I I agree. Um, but does ownership know that that's the, that's the issue. Um, because everything I'm reading, it feels like they're all in on KD and, and once again, Steph Curry is underappreciated. Um, yeah. And Steph can't do what LeBron did in Cleveland where, elevate people to that level by himself. Although it's, right. you know, it is a, it is a hell of a market, but in talking to some players, it's so fucking expensive to live there. Yeah. NBA players complain about that too. You know, right. It's, there's a lot of players. People don't realize this. They get traded to um, just a cheaper real estate market on a worse team than maybe they were before. But a lot of these guys, when they get to be 24, 25, they're family men. Right. Their wives are telling them how expensive everything is or how safe they feel or not safe when they're out with their kids at the park, whatever, all those things matter. They're they're just like the rest of us. So if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to go out after free agents and all you have is Steph Curry, uh, yes, that the wealthiest of guys can handle it, but the other very important players may not be able to, and, and Curry can't elevate them defensively. LeBron could in the postseason. He, he doesn't, he isn't that level player. Right. He's one step below. That's why he's not top two. Um, so I think they've got to keep loading up with young guys where they, they're on the first year of contracts or had just signed their next contract and you've got them for another three, four years guaranteed. Uh, so uh, next question, kind of a good follow-up because we were kind of, we were talking about windows and, and, mm-hmm. and winning and whatnot uh, from Rohan. Uh, what's the point of 
what the Spurs are doing, whatever the Spurs are doing this season. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of, it, it looks like they're trying to win, you know, 48 to 50 games, make the playoffs. Uh, they don't have a ton of talent, you know, especially young talent. Um, why aren't they, why aren't they just full on tanking? I think is the, the real, the real question that he's getting at. Well, how do you do that? You, you don't let an Arcus play. You don't, you don't, well, you move play. him. You move mm-hmm. him. I mean, it, him. Yeah. yeah, the idea is maybe that they should have moved him this summer or talked to him this summer about moving. Um, and, and then maybe you don't take the DeRozan package because, you know, DeRozan's a good player. Here, here's what I think happened. I think in Pop's mind, we're going to win 50 games. I think he thought that in September. We're not going to win 65. But we're going to find a way to win 50 with DeMar and Murray in the backcourt and the way he got Rudy playing and LaMarcus and some of the guys off the bench. Uh, they, they've got some talented young players they can develop. Um, and Pop is just the best. And so that goes to what I was saying before. Give your season ticket holders a 51 season every year and a chance to win in the playoffs. And, and you also give luck a chance to happen. Um, maybe you can pull a deal. Uh, that uh, pays off for maybe the guy you draft late first round becomes, you know, would they, would they take the kid uh, Lonnie Walker, Lonnie Walker? Yeah. Pretty fucking talented player. Absolutely. Um, freak athlete. Uh, huh? He's a freak athlete freak. And yeah, you coach him up. And, and so all of a sudden next year, again, not knowing Murray goes down, Murray's on his upswing. DeMarcus is in his prime. DeMarcus is just bubbling a little bit over his prime, but still very good. Uh, and all of a sudden, here comes Lonnie Walker, and with Pop's expertise, and, and maybe you get another, another free agent in the offseason, they're right back in it next year, especially if Golden State falls off a little bit because guys move. Right. So I think they're caught with not expecting Murray to be out from day one. Sure. That's what I think. I, I, here's what I'll say um, I think it's easy to forget that Pop is 70 years old. And he doesn't want to start over either. Right. But also, uh, the organization, I'm not going to say they owe him anything. Um, but I don't think pop is going to want to go out tanking. You know, these are probably the last couple seasons he's going to coach. And you know, this guy is, I mean, he's been one of the winning, winningest coaches in NBA history. He's never had, a, he hasn't had a losing season since that year he took over, uh, where they, where they wound up tanking for Tim Duncan. And, uh, I think that if he wants to try to win 50 games the next couple of years and with no shot of a title, he's earned the right. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So, yeah, because, because they thought the whole point is they thought they could get to 50 and the uh, Murray going down kind of change those metrics. Exactly. Cause their defense was so dependent on him. And, yeah. and I think it's one of these things that. Uh, unless you watch a lot of Spurs games, you don't realize it. But when Marcus Aldridge had his best defensive season last year, because of how good Murray was at point of attack defense. I mean, well, his his rear view contests are great. He, he you know he's so long he can stay with anybody. So, just on a quick side note, uh, to give it a glimpse into to my world a little bit, which will which will help fans or anyone listening have an appreciation for some of the teams in this league. When, I, when I'm helping a player, 
on a really good defensive team that does a great job of keeping people in front of them. And then that player goes to a different team where they're not good at it. I have to remind the player that they have to, they have to get back at being more disciplined and knowing where the ball is at all times. Because what happens is they end up focusing more on, on their help uh, off ball responsibilities as relates to screening and cutting screeners and cutters because they kind of forget where the ball is because they know it's not going to get blown by and they end up getting late to help because they're taking their eye off the ball. And, uh, that's where the elite teams start being so elite, uh, Spurs included back in the day, they just don't get blow bys. They communicate through it. Their stances are better. They don't take risks. If that's the design, and uh, when you're on that team, not on the ball, you can take your eye off the ball for a moment because you're not worried that it's going to be a blow by. And then a lot of other teams give up those blow bys, not just because of bad on, on ball defense, but also poor communication, the point of attack. And that's why people come late to help because they, they took their eye off the ball. You're supposed to see both at all times, but they don't do that in most teams in the NBA. And the really good defensive teams can afford it if they've got really good on ball defense. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, so next question, and this one I think is is really funny, and I'm I'm really curious to see what you think. Uh, from Bruno Passos, what is the worst stat, or let's say, what's your least favorite stat? Oh, uh, I don't like plus minus in a game uh, necessarily. Uh, if you come in for five minutes every single game, first half second half, same rotation. You can probably learn something by weeks in. Um, although it's not fair to punish a player if the wide open shots his teammates are missing are missed. Right. Um, I just, it, it, it shouldn't, I shouldn't say it's my least favorite stat in the box score. It's my least favorite stat that's cited by so-called experts. You can't do that. that right. If you watch the game, Every minute of the game, you can say so-and-so was plus eight or plus 12 or plus 15. And when he was in the game, the ball moved much better or the rim was protected. You can give some context to it. But to just say a so-and-so played well, look at his plus minus in a game, it just it, it, it just has no meaning at all. And so that bothers me. So I think you- that's true for a lot of stats, though. You know, Oh, it, sure. Of course. Because there are a lot of box score watchers that don't watch the games. And, uh, I don't want to sound like that guy that's, you know, like, Hey, you have to watch the games to understand everything, but you need context. And unless you watch the game, you have no idea. Like you just said, the value of that plus or minus means nothing. If you didn't watch the game and nothing at all. Uh, you know, uh, Amin talks about this all the time with the, the love Dales. Well, Steph Curry in college didn't have a lot of assists and they were like, well, he's not a playmaker. Yeah. And then they went and watched the film. And he was passing to guys that were just missing shots. I mean, yeah. he would get them good looks and they were, you know, he was getting like seven or eight of those a game. And so if you only look at the statistics, you miss out on, on that important context. Yeah. Uh, think about Trey young people looking at his shooting percentages and turnovers in college. He didn't have a single NBA athlete on the floor with him. By the way, that dude is good. He's really good. He's going to be a really good player. Uh, and you know, um, He's, yeah. he is, I mean, he's fourth in the league in assists right now. He's scoring 17 a game, 18 and a half. 18 uh, and a half yeah. 
I mean, it, it's it's insane what he's doing. He should he's better than he ought to be right now. I thought it was going to take him till next year, kind of like De'Aaron Fox. I thought this first year was going to be a feeling out year for him. He's more and, skilled than Fox, though. Oh yeah, Fox for sure. Fox just relied on athletic ability, yeah. and by the way, that's significant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, Young's skill and confidence is uh, is so impressive. Yeah, you're right, and and. The smart teams don't even look at assists. They look at they call it a true assist or a real assist. Exactly. I, I always call it points created because uh, in Europe I watch a lot of games where some brilliant pass we made, and they just hammer guys there. They don't they're not worried about a fight starting out, and so they got to go to the free throw line, and the guy makes one, but that should be a point towards the you know, points created. So yeah, you're you're right. Most of these most of these stats are bad, but for me, when when I hear people citing the Right. Plus minus stat for the game at in game. I think over the course of the season, it's not a bad stat. You know, the, the idea like Steph Curry leading the league in plus minus, right? Okay. That makes sense. But I, I just think like when, like, you know, Mello is a good example. Cause it's easy to hammer a guy when he's down, he was like minus 23 in a game. And, uh, it was like, Oh, he played 16 minutes and he was minus 23. Okay. Right. But who's he playing with? Right. And Michael maybe the other six straight monster shots or right. a teammate kept fouling someone and putting him in the free throw line. It, yeah, it, it has no meaning. It, it, yeah. You can make it up if you want to, but it has no meaning to anyone smart. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that that's good. I mean, my, my least favorite stat is it, it might be PER because I think that it doesn't, it's not as good as it should be. I, I understand what they were trying to do. I think it gets cited a little bit too much for, for how flawed it is. Um, and then almost every defensive stat is bad. They, I mean, almost every single one, because it just doesn't, I think defense is going to be incomplete. The, exactly. Defense is going to be the one where you're never going to be able to get away from the eye test. And, and then 90% of people who are trying to judge a guy's defense don't know what they're looking at, which is why people think Steph Curry can't guard his position. Um, and so, you know, defense, I, I think defense is going to be forever uh, undervalued and, uh, the, the analysis on it is always going to be bad. That's just where I am on it. And that's me being jaded about the, the whole basketball analysis thing. I'm with you. Uh, okay. Uh, Aaron is asking who's, what team is the best built for a, a playoff run in the East? Oh, why do we have to answer that? And before Thanksgiving, I, I don't know. I don't know what these teams are going to look like. They're, they're not, I, I, we could answer the question if the playoffs were tomorrow, but the playoffs aren't even close to tomorrow. So let's just say, I'm just going to say this. Uh, I like how Toronto is built. I think they have a lot of upside. So to mine, Kawhi's going to get better, not worse. Asai Cam's going to get better, not worse. I don't know about Lowry. Uh, they have a few other young guys that can get better, not worse. And so, there's just too many ifs that they all stay healthy and if they don't make another trade and another team doesn't, you know, add another great, what if, what if the bull, what if the wizards that come the bullets, what if the wizards get Kevin Durant? Right. Um, I, I just, you know, it's way too early to say that, but I, I, I right now I would say Toronto is, is going to win the East, but, but I wouldn't bet $2 and I'm really smart when it comes to basketball and I wouldn't put $2 on unless you gave me great odds. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the Raptors. I think the Raptors, you know, just they, they've got that depth and it's so important. And and then not to mention Kawhi Leonard, having a guy like that uh, gives you a puncher's chance in any series. Even if you don't have as much talent as the other team, I think having the best player still matters to a certain degree. Um, and and he's the best player in the East to me, which is yeah. which is wild since he took the whole year off last year. 
he yeah he and he's gonna get better yeah uh should we should we wrap this up uh let's finish up with a thanksgiving wish oh all right i'll let you go first okay I'm happy to do it. I hadn't thought about it, but I'm happy to do it. <laughs> My Thanksgiving wish is for, um, I'll start personally and then extend it out. Uh, we lost my father-in-law, I think four Octobers ago. I'm lucky enough to be blessed with my mother-in-law and my parents who are ranging from, my mom just turned 77, my dad's 78, my my mother-in-law is 80. And I'm, this is my 30, I think, Jesus, 32nd Thanksgiving with her. Um, so more than my, half my life. And so my wish is that, uh, everyone out there appreciate the good fortune if they have it still of their, of their loved ones that are a generation above to make their, make these holidays extra special for them. Because truly we all don't really know if we're going to have another one, but, but they're thinking about it a lot more than we are in our, I'm in our, my fifties now. And I don't think about it that much. Uh, find a way to make it special for them. Make them feel that that you're thankful for their presence and for their role in your life. And I'm certainly going to try to make my parents, who I won't even see for the first time in many years on Thanksgiving, but beforehand, and my my beautiful, sweet mother-in-law, Carolyn Chester, I, w- I want her to know that um, she's super important to me and I want to make this a very special Thanksgiving for her. That's awesome. Uh, so, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, your, your mother dealt with ovarian cancer. My my, my mother-in-law. Yeah. Mother-in-law from it. Yeah. Uh, so my mom is currently, uh, she just did her fifth chemo today. Oh goodness. She's got one left December 3rd. Uh, she is, she's cancer free. The blood tests are great, but she has her last chemo on December the 3rd. And then, uh, we're going to do Thanksgiving. Hopefully she'll have her taste buds back. <laughs> so we're going to do it uh, a couple days before Christmas because she's just in no condition to, yeah. to really be having Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and, and also, you know, the whole thing that it kind of wrecks your immune system and we just don't want her to get sick. Yep. The, the, about it. you can see like the light at the end of the tunnel is right there. And so she's about to push through. So I guess, I, so I guess, uh, yeah, my, my Thanksgiving wish is just that she has her taste buds back in time. <laughs> to to eat some food so that the food doesn't taste bad. That's what I want. She's got to cook. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's doing great. And I, w- I was actually texting with her this morning. I am actually. I'm pretty good. Yeah, I spent. A, you know, uh, eating is to me. I, I like I like to travel, and I like to eat when I travel. I think that food, especially local food, when you travel, is is a hugely important part of the experience. I always try to eat. Uh, you know, smaller restaurants or mom and pops. And, yeah. and you know, Local I want to taste right. And like, what's, what's this place known for? Dude, I want to have it. It's funny you mentioned that because I have, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm here in Bloomfield, Connecticut, which is a uh, guy has a large Caribbean population. And for some reason I haven't been going to these Caribbean restaurants. Oh and, man. And so I went yesterday. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unreal. Don't tell Waz. I did tell Waz. Oh. <laughs> I, sent, I sent him a picture. Uh, it's just phenomenal. I had some jerk chicken. Yeah. The peas, the cabbage. I'm going back today. I'm going to get the curry goat. There's so, nothing There's nothing more American than what you just described, Jade, because that's how the first Thanksgiving started, in a sense. It was two very different cultures. And so to bring all this home, 
yeah. in today's world. The idea that we're supposed to be a, a one culture only, the American culture. American culture is multicultural. That's the whole point. Exactly. That is the melting pot. We, we have amazing restaurants of every possible ethnicity. Uh, uh, that's what makes us so much more special. Right. And um, I'll leave you with this one warning I got many years ago. I was in Istanbul and uh, super smart, uh, very famous basketball player there that actually was the first ever seven-footer to, to be exported to America. He played at Evansville in the 70s, Dr. Amir Taram, a friend of mine. I said to him, is there anything I should watch out for when I'm eating at these incredible restaurants you're taking us to in Istanbul? He said, I travel the world. I'll, I'll give you one simple way to look at it. When you go to a steak place, get steak. When you go to a fish place, get fish. Don't do the other. So <laughs> I've never forgotten that. If, and I could be in my hometown. It doesn't matter where I am in the world, but certainly includes just my local places. I go, I eat what the specialty is. And you so know, far, it's always worked out pretty good. So I actually, I ask the, the wait staff or, or the owner or whoever what what I should have because they're never going to steer you wrong. Yeah. Actually, it's funny when I, when I left the, the, the spot yesterday, I, I had a thought. I, I, I should have walked in and just said, just make me what I should have. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've gotten some very special dishes that way. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, in in Spain, in Russia, in Italy, and, and you just say, make, make me whatever. And yeah, make me happy. Yeah. And it's just, it, so, so food is like extremely important to me because of what it means for travel and, and, you know, the, the entire like sociological aspect of food. And so because of that, I I actually taught myself how to be a really good cook. Also, my mom didn't want me to ever have to depend on anyone for anything. So there was no, you know, like I can sew, right? Like, there's not a lot of men my age that know how to sew, but my mom just, you know, she was very adamant that you should be able to do everything you need to do in life for yourself. Really good. And then if, if you find somebody that, that can do some stuff that maybe you don't know how to do, that's great. But, uh, you're going to know as much as possible to be able to take care of yourself. It's Jay, tough. what's there your you Thanksgiving go. wish? Uh, sign up for Patreon, <laughs> support the show. <laughs> Boom. That's a really, Jade. It was your, it was your it was your one chance of greatness, buddy. Uh, well, my let's see. My grandma's ninety nine, so I wow. would love for her to stick around as long as possible. Wow. Uh, ninety nine. How about ninety nine? I lost my grand. I, I lost my grandfather in January. It's almost been a year. Remember? And uh, yeah, grandma's ninety nine. So what is she, what is she eating every day? Uh, my mom likes to, she makes her soup, butternut squash soup, uh, uh, but you know, she, she pretty much does her thing. You know, so we go over there and we, we, we catch her drinking orange soda and, and she loves <laughs> my grandfather too, before he passed away, loved potato chips. Everything loved in moderation them. though. Yeah. 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 Uh, she's got my a sweet favorite, tooth. My favorite thing is, uh, when you find these guys and they're like 110 and they're asked what the secret is. And it's like, oh, I drink whiskey every day. Right. And yeah. I, that's I love best. those guys. Yeah, that's the best. That that like uh it's it that's inspirational. It's like uh tweeting through an election. Uh for uh <laughs> for Jade Hoy and and Coach Dave Thorpe. Uh I'm Dave DeFore and wanna say happy Thanksgiving to everybody and we'll be back uh, in like two weeks. All right. Happy hey, Thanksgiving, Joe. everyone. See you yeah, guys. happy Thanksgiving. You guys be safe.